Welcome back to episode number 147 of the MP Dude. This is Jeff the MP Dude, giving nurse practitioners a voice. That's everybody out there listening. I really don't care who you are. If you've got something that's bugging you, you need to let me know about it because if you want me to talk about it, you want me to give some insight of my perspective, I'd be happy to do it. This is mostly my opinion, but it's an opinion based upon that of a lawyer, FNP, in the state of Ohio. So email me, jeff at thempdude.com. I want to hear from you. Let me know. All right. We'll do a little housekeeping real quick, and then we're going to move right in because I don't have a lot of time. I'm racing, racing to work. How do you guys support the show? You tell everybody you know. I don't care. You're standing in line at the grocery store and say, hey, I listen to the MP, dude. You'll look like an idiot, but yeah, that's one way to spread the word. But what you can do that might make not look so silly is tell all your classmates in your program that um, there's this wacky guy in Ohio that's going to help you out if you guys have questions and you need some guidance. I don't give legal advice outside of Ohio, but what I do is educate. I educate you guys so that you guys can read something and be smart about how to handle it yourself. So that's what I'm doing here. So there's no free legal advice. People keep emailing me. Their contracts from Arizona and New Mexico and Montana. <laughs> I'm not going to read a single word of your contract. I promise you I won't read it. So don't even waste the time typing out the huge long email. This is my exact situation. Tell me what to do. I'm never going to tell you what to do. If you have a question about what something means, a definition, a concept, what a provision typically is intending to be for and why they're in the contract, that's the kind of stuff I can help you with. But I'm not going to read a single single word and try to tell you what to do. All right. But you can tell your friends. And uh, don't forget to give me a like and share on Facebook. I'm at like 29, 49, 48, somewhere in there. Likes on Facebook. Really want to hit the 5,000 mark. So I need your help. I want you guys to help spread the word. The other way you can help support the show is financially. But not really financially. What you do, use the Amazon affiliate link that's on my website, thenpdude.com. Go to Amazon banner, click on it. It takes you to Amazon. You do your purchasing. You buy all that weird stuff for Halloween. Halloween costumes are flying off the shelf. I'm telling you, they're they're starting to see the weird stuff you guys are buying. That's awesome. Use it. That's what it's there for. It kicks me a couple percentage of what you purchase. It doesn't add anything else to the cost of what you buy. So it's a win-win-win. That's the cheesiest thing I've ever heard in business, but it's a win-win-win. I win, you win, and uh, so does uh, Amazon. They get the the purchase. So um, use it. The other way you can do it is if you want a big old donation, you're feeling like, man, I haven't given anything to Jeff, and I've used all of his podcasts, and I've I've listened to upwards of, uh, you know, I don't know, how many hours? Probably 75 hours worth of information on on, uh, medical, legal, ethical, business practice-related stuff. And if you listen to that much information, you could throw me a couple bucks. You know you can. Dig a little deep, right? Don't make it hurt. I get it. If you guys are new students and you're just like spending all your money on school, don't don't spend your money on me. Spend it on the things that count. Okay? But if you got an extra couple bucks you want to throw it at me, use the donate button. You gotta use PayPal to get it done. Housekeeping is done. That's it. How many minutes was that? Any whiners out there that hate my housekeeping? Three minutes and twenty-seven seconds. There you go. All right, I got a uh, response back on some um, from somebody that had had an issue that I covered a couple shows ago about the um, uh, 1099 deal, where they were 1099 and they didn't get paid for their quote-unquote training time. 
And um, they came back and said, well, what should I do? And I'm like, well, that, I kind of answered it. You, you get a lawyer if you feel like you've got enough money there that it's worthwhile. So you need to evaluate what's the cost that they owe you for four weeks worth of work. And did they pay you any of it? And are you still working there? Did you leave? You know, if you didn't, if, if you are still working there and you want to continue working there, the last thing you want to do is get a lawyer and go in and say, look, I got my lawyer here that says you owe me a bunch of money. They're going to get rid of you. <laughs> you you won't be re-upping the contract. They'll get rid of you. They'll find a way to get rid of you. They, as, soon as, as soon as they get somebody else to do what you're doing, um, they'll probably say goodbye because that's, that's makes them nervous. Physicians typically don't like lawyers. And it kind of goes the other way too. A lot of lawyers hate, hate docs because they, they, it's just what they're trained. <laughs> That's your cash cow, buddy. Go after those docs. They got tons of money. Get some. I'm just joking. That's not what they do in law school. But the the idea is that that you know if you want to get a lawyer, go get a lawyer. But you're going to drop you know just for a nasty gram. You're going to spend a couple hundred bucks to a thousand bucks for somebody to review your case, write a letter to them, and threaten a lawsuit. And they you know put a stipulation in that says you shall you know provide this amount of money and it's due by this date. And if you don't, then we're going to file an action. Yeah, maybe. It might be a viable option. If you're not working there anymore, I would. I'd do that in a heartbeat because you might get four weeks of your money. That might be, you know, I don't know, more than a couple thousand bucks that it would cost to write a letter. So I would I would definitely entertain that if you're not working there anymore. The, the other thing that, that I would like to just point out, and we've talked about equitable estoppel in the past, but I'm going to revisit it because this is a good opportunity to explain that just because if you're a 1099 and you made a bad deal, then um, the actual contract itself specifically excludes your training time. So there's no winning on a contract claim. You can fall back on an equitable estoppel claim, okay? We've talked about the courts before, right? The king's court, the queen's court, those are, go, go back and type equitable estoppel, you can get a little bit more background. But here, the, the application of that, that rule would be, well, even if I fail on a claim for a breach of uh, payment provision in the con contract, remember, it's not just breach of contract, it's a, of a specific provision, you never say breach of contract because that's too generic. Nobody says that. It's breach of the blank provision within the contract. We have to use the right words, guys. So if you if you lose that or you really feel like, well, I'm going to throw it out there as my primary claim, but if I can't get that one, then I'm going to do my equitable estoppel claim. And it basically comes down to whether you as the aggrieved reasonably um, believed that you were going to get paid for the, the time that you were going to be training. So if you had documentation in an email and all that contemporaneous stuff that doesn't, doesn't come into the contract because of the parole evidence rules, see how this all ties together. So if you, if you're not allowed to bring it into the contract, but you still have evidence that they promised you to do that, that they were going to pay you, or they would give you 50% of the, the, the normal cost, or there was some kind of representation that you have documentation of, you might win on that claim as a, as a fallback. And, and it's a viable fallback. It's the, the problem with that, that claim though, is that you're never made whole. The courts inherently will give you pennies on the dollar compared to what you would have gotten if it was written well in the contract. And the, the policy reason for that is they want you, the courts want you to do a better job contracting because they don't want to have to deal with you clogging up the courts over equity issues. Fairness. Oh, it's just not fair. Well, the courts don't like fairness decisions because they're inconsistent. 
There's always little tidbits of facts here and there and this way and that way that makes the fairness issue one way or the other. And so you can't consistently apply that type of law or, or precedent to any later subsequent cases. So it's difficult. So it, it's a good policy reason. So you just keep in mind, you might get, you know, 50%, 30%. It just depends on the facts of the case. It comes down to the facts of the case. If you think you you have enough money there that's worth worth going and paying somebody a, a thousand bucks, that's like my earmark. If, you, if you're willing to lay a thousand bucks down to try and get four or five grand, then go for it. If they're as shady as you think you are, the, the, as you think they might be, then chances are they're going to roll the dice and say, screw off, you ain't got any money to sue me because that's going to cost you another 15, 20 grand in two years of your life. Is that really worth it? Probably not. I mean, in reality. So they're going to probably call your bluff. But you might be able to squeeze a couple bucks out of them and the lawyer will get paid. <laughs> so you're basically, you know, promoting your lawyer in town. So you, you might get a little, you know, a couple hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, maybe 2,000 bucks over what you're going to pay your attorney. Eh, I don't know. Sometimes I just, I say cut my losses. I learned a hell of a lesson for the value of four weeks of your work. And in reality, did you really do anything? Did you really make them any money during that time? If in, in reality, if you're truly training and you're standing behind someone else working, you didn't provide any benefit to them. So you didn't confer a benefit. You might have a hard time. Now that I think about it, you might even have a hard time with equitable estoppel claim because you've had to have conferred a benefit. You could probably argue that you did because, you know, they uh, they were promoting you as, you know, a, a bigger practice than what they were. And they've got more stability now. They've got another provider. I mean, you could probably make up something, but those are kind of weak. It's kind of lame. So you, you, it just depends. It depends on the facts of your case. And I'm not going to dig any deeper, but... Point being, see a lawyer if you want. If you think you can squeeze some out of them, go for it. If you're working there still, I wouldn't see a lawyer. I would just go in and talk to them about it. And, um, you know, if, if it's pretty clear in your contract that you weren't to be paid for that, we're not to be paid for that, then, you know, life lesson. Don't do that again. Or, or do, like I said in my last in a couple podcasts ago, you do it, but you, you know, compensate yourself for it for the other 11 months out of the year, that year. So you jack up your rate. So, you know, you'll, you'll get it back. It's just, I got to spread it out over the next year for that month. I didn't, didn't get paid. All right. I hope that helps. I, I wasn't trying to be a jerk in that previous podcast. And I think this individual, she, you know, there was some comments. So, um, and I got some PMs and, and, uh, they were all positive, but I was kind of harsh because I, I think I needed to do a little tough love about 1099s. You guys need to understand. You got to understand what you're doing before you start signing those. I, I see people all the time on the Facebook forum saying 1099. Yeah, I, I add like 10%. You know, I go up a little bit. I go from 50 to like 55 an hour for that. I'm like, you're absolutely losing your mind. You're losing money. That's not, not what you do. You got to add up your costs in the time that it takes for you to manage all of the BS crap that you're going to be managing, like your own health insurance, doing your own taxes, paying an accountant, doing all that stuff. You roll it into your cost and then the price goes up. That's the whole benefit of a 1099 because they don't pay um, employment tax on you, number one. They don't have to pay your benefits, number two. So in reality, you're giving them a windfall if you come in at you know 55 bucks an hour when you should really be making like 75 or 80 as a 1099 new grad you should be a lot higher than that as an experienced individual so good questions a great topic 
it's fun to fun to analyze so i appreciate that keep those coming those are fun um and it's different i know it's, it kind of rolls into the other one but we kind of dug a little deeper and applied some other law to it so that was fun all right the other thing i want to talk about today and I, i'm hoping to have enough time is um i've never done a show about just plain old full practice authority i've never just said you know what let's just like analyze like how how we sell it how we explain it to people because still, you know, not even half the country still has a collaborative agreement. Or whatever you guys call it. We call it SCA, Standard Care Arrangements in Ohio. But whatever you guys call it. So the, the big reason this came out was because Ohio has just, um, in a couple weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, I can't even remember when it came out. My, my, my days are blurring together. They really are. And um, But Ohio came out with a, a proposed law. Uh, I don't know if she's, I think she's a a house representative, state rep from Western Ohio. And I can't say her name. I can't remember. It's Italian-ish. Gorgano, maybe. I don't know. Something like that. She, um, she had been working through OAAPN, which is our state organization, and they've come up with a new proposed law, a new bill that would, um, that would shoot for full practice authority in Ohio. And I've read the law, and it's great. I love the way they did it. You know what they did? It's super nice. They did a great job. They literally took the existing law and went through, and anywhere it mentioned anything like collaborative agreement, collaborative physician, there's supervision in there a couple times, but I think it's just carryovers from previous. But anywhere there's any of those types of words, scratches them out. That's it. Everything else in the law stays the same. So it doesn't functionally change how the administrative component of, you know, the the actual licensing and the accreditation that's required for your schools and all that, that type of crap. None of that gets changed. It's just the collaborative. That's it. Super clean. I like it. So we'll see what happens. If you're an Ohio peep, you need to be going to OAAPN and uh, doing the, the link where you send your... your name and whatnot in it kind of has a like a pre-made form and you can you can find your um find your uh representative and send them uh, you know the 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 canned response of what what we're trying to do here and that led to my my thought of like well i've never really talked about like my canned answer when somebody says what's what's full practice authority what why do you guys want to go rogue you know or why why do you think you don't need a physician or you know those types of questions and, um, so I've never done it. I'm going to try to do it right now. Here's my, here's my quick down and dirty because I think it's an effective answer. And most people seem to understand and agree right after the, the biggest, con- the biggest problem, um, against, or the, the biggest reason I'm against full practice authority is because it doesn't work or I'm sorry, against the, the collaborative system, not full practice authority. Why, why do we need a collaborative agreement? Why, why are we mandating a contract between two individuals that may or may not truly really work together? Because it just says you have to have a contract with somebody in the same scope of practice. And in theory, and per the law, you're supposed to be able to refer to that individual if, if the patient requests it and all that good stuff, at least in the state of Ohio, it might be different elsewhere. But it's the same concept, is that you've got to fall back. Someone to look, you know, say, oh, I don't know what to do with this here. But the problem is, is that in primary care and in psych and in, in um, um, a lot of practices, when we don't know what to do with something, 
we, we send them to a specialist. If you're in the ER and you get something weird that's there, you're going to call up the, the specialist for hematology or orthopedics. You know, an ER physician doesn't sit there and start operating on knee joints that are traumatized. They call an orthopedic guy to come in and fix it. So the, the, there's, there's this misnomer that we, we require um, someone looking over our shoulders so that we don't screw up, but yet we already have institutions in place, which is called the standard of care. What would the reasonably prudent provider, all providers, do in the same or similar circumstance? We're held to the same standard. So we're held to the same standard. We have our own liability. We have our own license. Why do I need a contract that mandates that I just have, be tied with one of these guys? All right. So that that is kind of a you know an opening door, and they're like, huh, interesting. Well, what does the collaborative agreement really do? Well, functionally, in Ohio, every six months, my collaborative has to review about ten of my charts. That's it. Oh, really? They don't they don't like have to co-sign your notes? No, no, they don't. They don't even see my notes. The only ones that see my notes are the ones where I actually need to collaborate with my physician and say, look, hey, I got this weird case. I don't know what to do with it. I'm not sure who I should send them to. Can you take a look at this? And then they look at it and then you chart, you know, collaborated with collaborative physician regarding case. Physician agrees with plan. I've, you know how many times I've written that in my note? Zero times. I've never had to do that. Because I always just went to somebody in my office who happened to be mostly nurse practitioners and say, hey, who do we send this to? Oh yeah, here's how you do that one, or here's who your resources are, or who's good for you know, Durham in this area. You know, even if you don't know where you're going, you don't know your resources, right? If you go to a new place, you just don't know. So you were asking people, hey, who's good for GI? Who does good colonoscopies that I can trust? You're you're going to ask those questions. You're going to refer that stuff out. So you don't. It's not 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 going rogue and and the the quality of a review six months later to protect patient safety protect the public is just ridiculous that does nothing to protect the public so nurse practitioners in in ohio and in many states that still have the collaborative agreement are six months to a year in arrears with safety so if it was really a safety issue to save the the public to keep them safe then in reality they would have to have them co-sign but physicians don't want that. That's too much work. We really trust these NPs. These NPs do a great job for me. I don't need to co-sign. Oh, but they don't do a good enough job that I have to check them six months from now. I should really take a look at that, make sure they're not killing people six months from now. So when I get a response back, when I explain it that way, you know, the cock, the true occasional cocktail party, I don't do cocktail parties, but if I'm drinking, you know, a couple cups of coffee with people at, at breakfast or having a, having a drink with somebody at the, you know, at a picnic or something and they ask me what the difference is that's one of them and they usually look at me and say that's what you're fighting for yes that's how ridiculous it is and they say well why why do you even care then if, if you're able to just do your job and everything else so, well the problem is is that in many states because of the collaborative we cannot form our own companies unless we get a collaborative that we have to pay oh boy almost just ran into somebody come on lady she's right in my blind spot so we have to we have to uh, pay for it. That's an added cost. And then when you factor in the fact that we make through CMS eighty five percent of the cost of the the payment of what a physician would get, now we get a double whammy. So we have to see that many more patients and work that much more um, in the office seeing people than what the physicians do to be able to break even. It's ridiculous. 
It's a, it's a, it doesn't make sense. So when I explain it that way, most people, most, most rational human being, beings that are not an interested, you know, party in the, in the debate will come back and say, you know, I, I don't, I never really understood that. I'd vote for that. I, I want you to be on your own, Jeff. I got, I have people all over town that say, Jeff, as soon as you open up your own practice, I'd come to you. Not that I will. I mean, I'd like to have my own practice someday just because I think it'd be a, a nice thing to have on the side and do some home visits and help help neighbors in the community and, and you know, make a little money on the side. I think that'd be a great way to go. But I, until I have a collaborative agreement gone, with the requirement gone, I'm not going to do that. I could provide services that are not being done because these individuals don't go to see providers. They stretch it out. They miss their appointments for two years because they're working all the time. They can't afford to do that. Nobody does home health, you know, the home visits where I live. Nobody's doing them. I could do a home. I could make my own business doing that tomorrow and start start seeing patients if, if I didn't have to have the collaborative. It just it's it doesn't do anything. It doesn't serve a purpose other than to, to you know it's a protectionistic view from the physician side of things to keep us in our place, quote unquote, right? <clears throat> All right. So what's the biggest detractor against getting full practice authority? What's the best, the worst argument, the best argument, whatever, however viewpoint you want to see it? What's the argument against full practice? They don't have enough clinical hours, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. 500 to 700, 800 hours, 1,000 hours with a DNP in some programs, it's not a lot of hours. Now, if you were to mandate, and, we, and I know I'm harping, harping on it again, if we were to mandate entrance criteria that was more strict and to include a minimum of at least two years RN experience, I like bedside. I prefer the more challenging, rapidly changing environments. That gives, that gives better reassurance that critical thinking skills are there. So if you're an RN working in an you know, patient office, that's great, good experience, you're getting paid, probably not that great, but you know, it's okay. But if you're working in ICU or ER or a, you know, a, a busy uh, med surge unit, you're gonna have people coding, you're gonna have you know, things that come up that you gotta address, you gotta be able to, to juggle your patient load, plus rapidly changing situations, and still get all your stuff done. That shows that you've got critical thinking skills, organizational skills, and it, and it, it does sh- mean something. It really does. It, and it also gives you a lot better experience to be able to rely on, yeah, I got, I got 4,000 hours of experience before I was allowed to even go to NP school. Plus, usually you work part-time, so by the time you're done with NP school, you've got you know another 1,000 to 2 or 4,000. Know, it's two years. That's another 4,000 potentially hours of experience before you're done. So th- that that plus increasing the clinical hours in the program would get us significantly more hours touching patients, getting experience, um, working in the in the healthcare profession to get to get that that um, credibility that's required. And, and to be honest with you, the direct entry programs, I don't think they should happen. I used to think, yeah, you could, you can do it and be successful. I think that's true, but I still think that you have to be a nurse first. It's an advanced practice nurse, not just a nurse. You got to be a nurse before you can advance the practice. That's my two, two, two shakes on it. Now, I, and I used to think it the other way where I would just like, oh, okay, it's not that big a deal, but to me, I think you need to have some experience. I'm, 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 I'm leaning more towards that. I just do. I think it's in your best interest anyways. And I've said that all along. I think it's better, you know, that way you know what you want. 
you've been in the healthcare world a little bit, you see what other people are doing, you make sure that it's not something that uh, you absolutely would hate doing before you commit to, you know, 50, 60, 70, 100,000 dollars more in debt. So, all right guys, parking lot, boom, in the space. There's my gear shifter. All right, so if you guys have questions I want to hear from you, you send me emails, jeff at the npdude.com. You can catch me on Facebook. I haven't seen if I've gotten any uh, reviews on uh, iTunes lately, but if you want to give me a rating, I'll, I'll take them. It's a great way to let people know that uh, you value the information you're getting here. Um, don't forget to use the Amazon affiliate link. And if you're working today, I want you to be smart, promote the profession, promote each other. Don't tear each other down. Even, even if you look at somebody and say, man, that is the wrong way to do it, you don't tear them down. You help them. Say, look, hey, you know, and you do it in a nice way. Say, look, you know, I've done it this way in the past. It's been successful. And if they don't want to listen to you, that's their choice. It's their license. But we got to try to help each other. Be smart. Be safe. We'll talk soon.